0: This is the Pro America Report on The Answer, San Diego.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on The Pro America Report. Don't forget, visit proamericareport.com and you can listen to this segment and all the different segments and get the daily email. Sign up for the daily email. What you need to know, the daily wink. I encourage you to get that. It goes out to about 50,000 people every morning at 9 a.m. East Coast time and, uh, uh, excuse me, 8 a.m. East Coast time, 5 a.m. on the, on the Pacific, on the West Coast. So our, we're opening the show today. We got some great guests coming up in a few moments. Julie Kelly, the author of a definitive book on January 6th, will give us an update on what's happening over at the Capitol. We'll also hear from Brandon Weikert, who wrote a book on space, who will tell you that while you're focusing on drones and tanks and the war in Russia, Ukraine, there is a space battle ahead that is uh, more troubling to pay attention to. But first, we need to talk to our old friend Armstrong Williams. Armstrong Williams is an entrepreneur, a, a man who has been a radio and television personality. I guess in your youth, you would have been a political operative type. I don't know if that's a technical term, but he worked in government and politics, and he is just a man who has a whole bunch of wisdom. So I wanted to get him on the show and say, where are we in this country right now, Armstrong? So welcome to the program. How are you?
2: Ed, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure.
1: So, so you've observed a lot in your life. You've seen a lot of success. You were an early Reagan guy. You worked in the Reagan administration, I think, if I recall correctly, or at least were influential in that time. I, you might clarify that. But uh, where are we in this country? And, and I'm not talking to politics only. I'm talking about the nation, people's uh, concern about uh, inflation, concern about the future, all the technology. Well, how do you feel? I saw one of your recent posts was about your faith and Easter and all, but where
2: are we as a nation? You, you know, what's fascinating is that whether we acknowledge it or not, uh, faith, uh, I mentioned this, is a very important part of our lives. And and I would venture to say that if you don't have faith, life will cease to have meaning. Hmm. Life will cease to make sense. Life will cease to differentiate between right and wrong. What was once right will become wrong and what is wrong will become right. And we will never be able to move from one moment to the next without doubting every last thing that we do and what people do around us. And when you see these movements as parents, you have no say so in their child's education, they're trying to turn, teach Transsexual education to naive, vulnerable kids, to indoctrinate them, to corrupt them, to make them to return and rebel against their parents. And it, 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 it's just it's what happens without faith. We are nothing. And so you you began to see the world around you erode values and things that don't make sense like the president can make these demand about protocols and masks and vaccinations and and boosters. And yet you can have hundreds of thousands of people crossing our borders without any protocols, without any demands. And Americans ask themselves, what is wrong with this picture? You're holding Americans to a different standard than you're holding strangers and coyotes and people who bring weapons across our borders, who corrupt our value system. And so our culture is changing. We're using the culture of the minorities that come in our country and they bring their values and they displace our values, whether it's transgender, whether it's defunded the police, uh, whether it's anti-capitalism. Uh, whether it's canceling Keystone Pipelines because we think the electric car is the answer. Um, Everything seems to be so antithetical to who we are as Americans. And I will tell you, whether it's from the Roman Empire, the Greek Empire, any empire, the reasons why the Chinese... Um, and c- countries like Russia and those that survived so long in these Muslim countries, criticize them as much as you may. Is that they will never allow the minority to become the majority in their values and their culture, because a true country cannot survive if you give will and pass laws to uh, reflect the values of people that come to your country first to get away from the atrocities to get away uh, from the terror of the the land that they were once upon and all of a sudden their values become the value of 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 your country, it just cannot Exist, you go to places in America right now, uh, and you 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 rarely hear the, the, the English language spoken. You could never go to China and these other places. You will only hear Chinese mm-hmm. or Russian, uh, 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 in, in, the language of Saudi Arabia, the language of the Middle East that is being spoken. So America is being just totally regarded, and the minority is replacing the majority culture.
1: Well, we're talking with Armstrong Williams. And of course, among the many things he does, the Armstrong Williams show, which you can uh, nationally syndicate it, and you can also see it online. I go to armstrongwilliams.com. You can follow through to all of his different stuff. Uh, Armstrong, you know, I've heard you talk about your late mother and your family. And when one of the great things I've seen you, uh, I've seen it in your face. The pride of having succeeded—you know—in some ways for your mother and for your family and all, but that's the American thing, right? I mean, one of the places where I've seen and know uh, you well is because of your friendship with like Terry Giles, our mutual friend, and Ben Carson, who's your great friend. But these guys, also like you, came from nothing. The, the idea was up from your bootstraps. Horatio Alger story. In fact, the Horatio Alger Society, I think, is a an organization that the three of you are, are members of. And 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 this notion that America had this, uh, that you had that ambition, people have the ambition to succeed for their families, for themselves, for the, and it was possible, even if you didn't do it, you didn't have to become as rich or as successful, but you had the opportunity, it kind of gave meaning in your life. And that part of the sort of, let me say it differently, faith, in the nation, faith in the American nation, we had confidence, maybe is a better word. Faith is reserved for, I think, for, you know, uh, people uh, of faith recognized in, in their religion. But confidence in the American nation, that's
2: slipping, right? Well, you know, um, you know, uh, I do know uh, Dr. Carson's and Terry's story of poverty, but my story is definitely not one of poverty um, um, in fact, I came from a very blessed family that afforded us many opportunities um, to be educated, to travel, hmm. uh, to experience life from a lens of not drinking from the trough of racism and bigotry. My parents, the, the uh, estate, the 250th estate still remain in the family. So, you know, I grew up. Um, not worrying where the next meal comes from or whether I would have clothing on my back. I was right. very fortunate. So, and we didn't worry about whether we listened to our parents or not. What was matter was we worried more about watching our parents and by their example. Hmm. And our parents were able to shape us. They shaped us by um, they did not allow outside forces to shape us, um, as you are seeing today with the internet and the social media platforms. Uh, uh, my parents didn't really care about the shape that they, that we were necessarily in. It's what they shaped us into becoming. And the reality is, it is that most of us communicate the same way that we grew up. Right. Whatever you see today in an individual is what you see, and what they grew up with. And so. And that communication style becomes our normal way of dealing with issues, our blueprint for communication. It's what we know and pass on to our children. It's what our parents passed on to us. And we either become our childhood or we make a conscious choice to change it. And the most important thing that my parents taught us was about free will. God gives us free will. And in that free will, you've got to make the best choices. But also those choices can lead to a short life. It can lead to, to disruptions in friendship. And my father and brother also talked about, people talk about um, the journey that we all, and our ultimate destination, which is death. But my father always taught us that there are other deaths that we face along life. If we don't make the right choice. If you don't have integrity, if you don't have character, you don't have honor. You can suffer the death of your wealth. You can suffer the death of your marriage. You can suffer the death of your friendships. You can suffer the death of your word. And so throughout my um entire upbringing um, my parents always, not through necessarily through what they said, but through their actions, set an example that words were important. Character is important. Work ethic is important. Not being a victim. Always. You can always change your circumstances by the choices that you make. And those choices should be rooted in biblical principles and faith in God. Hmm.
1: Armstrong Williams is our guest. And uh, one last uh, question, Armstrong. You know, I, in this segment of my show, I talk about what you need to know. And I just heard you allude to something. I listened to you and I heard you allude to something. And they put them together. Um, you know, you, you, when you listen to you, you're obviously someone who has learned to communicate in a very sophisticated way. Although I think you, you also sound like a normal guy. You're not like a high highbrow guy. But but that's communication is something you've obviously succeeded at. We're in a time where. The, the means of communication has never been easier. You could do a YouTube channel. I remember watching you on your Facebook live. You were over at the Capitol uh, at some point. You know, filming the. I think they put up the walls over there or something. You, it, it's never been easier to communicate, but it's also never been more in the control or influence, as you alluded to, of these big tech and big media. And it's it's sort of terrifying. And when I, when I tell people what you need to know is that the best communicators, like you, Armstrong, are aware of the power of these uh, of these. Entities, it, it's, it's pretty daunting, isn't it?
2: Yeah, you know, I think sometimes what we see in the communications, especially from young people, I think because there's such a spiritual void, um, they try to plug into all these things that try to give them peace and happiness and joy, and they find themselves more empty than before with materialism and lacks and dislikes. And I think sometimes what these young people want us to do, they want us to hurt the way they hurt. And so that's why they go out, they commit suicide, they kill, they they become destructive, they they destroy lives. And so um, when we change our behavior, when the pain of staying the same um, becomes greater than the pain of changing and the consequences give us the pain that motivates us to change. And so Mm. it takes some time for these kids to realize their ways that the that what they're involved in, what they're doing, their relationships, which are uh, are not, are fragile, which are not wholesome, which really doesn't have a true foundation. They realize gradually that it's causing them no harm than good, and they keep searching for an answer. You know, I was I was with someone recently, and I was listening to them. They were listening to Kanye West church service right. and it was a young person i said wow you know i never really got into kanye west church service but i also sometimes when i'm riding with my drivers or riding in an uber they play this rap music that i don't understand but then it clicked <laughs> on me that what kanye west is doing he's giving him a spiritual message wholesome message about love about change about god and about spirituality and i never realized The value of what he was giving these kids as a substitute to this poison that they have been injecting for so long from this music, from this rap music, from this disrespect of women. And while people may think that he's sometimes off his his, his rocker, um, he's providing something to young people that's really making a difference. Because of social media, young people always think that the grass is greener. No gratitude for what they have, who they are, how they came about it. Yes, they always think this because they're not rooted in a spiritual or moral foundation. They Mm. think it's all about them. They think they make the choices. They have the free will to do what they they want to do until the consequences come full circle. Yeah, Well said. Well said. Well, that's what you need
1: to know, everybody. Uh, Thank you, Armstrong Williams. I got to run Armstrong Williams, everybody. He's uh, again, go to his website, armstrongwilliams.com. You'll see his TV show, his appearances, his wisdom and uh, appreciate it very much, sir.
2: Always a place. Much respect, my brother. All right.
1: We'll talk again soon. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It's been a while. It's been a while since uh, we have talked to my old friend, Julie Kelly, but that's because her star has risen so high. She wow. goes on TV all the time. She's, she's at, uh, I think like debutante balls all over the world, all this kind of stuff. And so Julie Kelly at Julie underscore Kelly, number two. And uh, her book of course is the book on January 6th. You have to read and Julie, welcome back to the program. And my, I, I saw your column from a, a few days ago on the Capitol police and this is an important story that nobody covers. You do. But, and you're talking about the Capitol Police, how terrible they've been, not only at doing their job. There's a lot of reasons to wonder about them doing their job. But also they're like adamantly in the fray, sort of, as you say, enforcing the narrative for the Democrats. So, first of all, who is the Capitol Police? Like, who are these people? Who's actually in charge of them?
3: Well, who's actually in charge of them um, technically is the U.S. Capitol Police Board, uh, which is run by the sergeant at arms for the House sergeant at arms for the um, Senate the US Capitol Police Chief, and I believe um, the architect of the Capitol. So it's this very tiny little cabal who takes their marching orders from whoever is in charge of Congress. And on January 6th, that would have been, of course, Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell. But this has really evolved into Congress's, more specifically, Nancy Pelosi's secret little secret service. Um, I wrote extensively in my book about their misconduct on January 6th, which included attacking and assaulting protesters outside the building that day. We know that they lied and continue to this day lie about officer brian sicknick being killed by trump supporters that day they covered up for months the identity of lieutenant michael Byrd, the officer who shot and killed almost at point blank range ashley babbitt an unarmed veteran in the building that day these are just a few examples of how this capitol police force which just received, by the way, Ed, $2 billion in new funding as a kickback for their involvement in January 6th and helping the Democrats promote this false narrative about that day. Um, so they have really been weaponized aimed against Republicans in the house and taking their marching orders from Nancy Pelosi and her, her minions. Well now, but
1: I, I want to clarify this because I'm now looking at the Capitol police board. We're talking again with Julie Kelly and the, the Julie Kelly, if you haven't uh, read her book yet, you need to read her book uh, and follow her at American greatness. Am com is where she writes all the time. But Julie, uh, specifically um, when I look at this Capitol police board, there's, I guess, five members, the four, four members. And so, but are they appointed by uh, the speaker? And, and, and the reason I say this is like another example that people don't realize they haven't released the video. There's thousands of hours, tens of thousands of hours of videotapes of what happened on January 6th. And, and it's not that they're not releasing them because they edited out the place where somebody's social security number is is a public they just said we're not giving any of it now is is the next speaker of the house if it's not nancy pelosi does he have the ability to dramatically change what's happened or is is the speaker the one i mean who's can a speaker change it or is it some bureaucracy that is bound up beyond that
3: Well, it technically is part of the legislative branch, which is very problematic because that means that they are not subjected to FOIA requests. So not only is the Capitol Police Board, our Capitol Police attorneys successfully keeping this 14,000 hours of surveillance video captured by Capitol Police security cameras on January 6th, they're not only Uh, successful in concealing that from the public, but also repeatedly reject FOIA requests or any requests for documents, communications, records between Capitol Police and other agencies, such as the FBI or Nancy Pelosi's office, or say, D.C. Mayor uh, Muriel Bowser's office. Everything that this Capitol Police, a federal law enforcement agency, by the way, paid for by federal taxpayers, Mm -hmm. everything is kept under wraps. There is no transparency to this agency whatsoever. So what should Republicans do when they take over? As I wrote in my last column, completely cut off funding to this agency, disband it, either get private security or offer more transparency to a retooled Capitol Police agency um, that is acting only in the interest of the Democratic Party, certainly not in the interest of keeping all lawmakers, staff, the building, etc. secure. So that would be my suggestion. Well, and,
1: and Julie, we're talking with Julie Kelly and Julie Kelly. This piece she's referring to is defund the Capitol police, which is a good headline. to gets your attention. But if you look into it, I think you're the first one saying what I think is so important because y- you and I both know if the Republicans get the House, there will be lots of grandstanding by Republicans. There'll be Judiciary Committee hearings. There'll be oversight committee hearings and there'll be the cameras will be on and everyone will be preening. Um, but. The real place to go. And again, if you look at the, at the actual oversight of that committee, the committee is so the control of the, the, of the Capitol Police, it's the place to go is the House Committee on Appropriations and the Senate Committee on Appropriations, right? In other words, grab them by the wallet, as you say, and say, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to file the bill that funds you guys until we get some answers. I I mean, you're saying don't fund them ever, but I mean, at least get some answers. And I, and the, so now my question, which is a total setup. Do you see Republicans? Willing to do that?
3: Of course not. (laughs) I don't, which is why we have to create the groundswell of organic support, support of the base to, first of all, force Republicans, before they disband it and defund it, order the immediate release of 14,000 hours of surveillance video because, Ed, when they do that, There will be public outrage to disband this police force for what they did that day. So do that, release all the documents, show the correspondence between Capitol Police and Pelosi's office, et cetera. That will tell the story in itself. Then they will have justification to defund this, um, defund it, um, eliminate it. Find private security that uh, are not acting as little tools of Nancy Pelosi, her secret, her little secret service.
1: Well, in your in your uh, piece at the towards the end of it, you refer to this U.S. Congressman Troy Niels of Texas, who he he said that the Capitol Police was in his office uh, investigating things. Are are they doing active investigations? Let me say it this way: there is some number, which is again unknown because there's no transparency in Congress. Some number of settlements of sexual assault or harassment and huge payouts of money uh, right. uh, at, that have never been revealed. It's like tens of millions of dollars uh, of a special fund that exists. Are they are they, is the Capitol Police doing investigations of of crime on the
3: Capitol grounds? No, they are only spying on Republicans. And why does the Capitol Police Department need its own intelligence unit? They are spies. They just hired A former top official intelligence official with an NYPD to come in and take over this expanding agency that is only spying and collecting, quote unquote, intelligence on Republican lawmakers, staff, donors, and even their constituents. Um, So this is like the FBI, you know, just on Capitol Hill. And I'm sure they're not investigating anything serious. It is collecting dirt on Republicans, leaking it to the press, where it can be attributed to anonymous intelligence officials. You know, we've seen this playbook over and over, which is why, uh, as I argue, this agency needs to be disbanded after it has been completely exposed. uh, Recordings, documents, and of course, the video.
1: Julie Kelly, her book of uh, her, her previous book, "Disloyal Opposition: uh, How the Never Trump Right Tried and Failed to Take Down the President," it's also a really good read. And then more recently, January 6, how Democrats used the Capitol protest to launch a war on terror against the political right. January 6th Now that we're getting some trials, I know you follow them really uh, carefully. And again, at Julie Kelly, at Julie underscore Kelly too. When there's a trial or a hearing, Julie's usually covering, listening or or uh, watching uh, in real time and 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 covering it. Um. Where are we in terms of the trials now and in terms of the progress of of sort of popping the balloon? I mean, it it has felt like the the um, the powers that be, the establishment has wanted plea deals and quick settlements because they know they're in a race against time. Not just the election in the fall, but the truth coming out. But where do you feel like we are?
3: Um well the uh, fourth trial starts today uh a man named Thomas Webster is accused of attacking police officers that day um he his trial starts today. We've had three other trials, two jury trials that not shockingly in a D.C. jury pool uh, resulted in quick, unanimous, guilty verdicts on every single count. The only man who's been exonerated uh, was charged with four misdemeanors, and that's because he selected a bench trial before Judge Trevor McFadden, a Trump-appointed judge. But these defendants have zero shot of a fair trial in Washington, D.C. And that's why it's not just the government, Ed, who is pushing defendants for plea deals. Their attorneys are doing the same because they know they cannot get a fair trial in Washington, D.C., a jury trial. And with the exception, probably, of Trevor McFadden cannot get a fair trial before these D.C. district court judges. They are really in such a rigged, trapped system with no way out, which is why you uh, have seen 200-plus plea deals already. The majority, overwhelming majority, by the way, not on insurrection or treason or terrorism, but on parading in the Capitol, the Class B misdemeanor petty offense.
1: Right. Yeah. And and your sense is that's it's going to continue that way. Right. I mean, there's not a lot. I mean, you and I've talked about it offline. I mean, if you're, if you have a chance to get, you you can't, you can't risk it with these juries is what basically comes down to you talk about like the perfect storm of holding political prisoners hostage. You, you say, you know, take a plea deal. Your life will be destroyed, but at least you'll be here as opposed to roll the dice with a jury. I mean, that's the problem, right?
3: Well, it really is. And a bigger problem too, are the judges deciding what the juries can hear. For example, in the case of Thomas Webster on, Comet Maida, an Obama appointee, is preventing the jury from hearing from a female rioter who was shoved to the ground numerous times before the confrontation with Thomas Webster, which is what prompted him to confront this DC officer. Of course, they were attacking protesters as well. So Judge Maida ruled no, you don't need to hear from this female rioter. It's irrelevant to why Thomas Webster confronted this police officer. Well, it's exactly why he did. So these judges are working hand in hand with the government government to prevent the jury from hearing, uh, you know, crucial um, uh, evidence that could, uh, you know, that are exculpatory evidence that could explain some of the conduct, but also in the process, cover up excessive force and police misconduct on January 6th.
1: So will you endorse, Julie, last question, will you endorse my idea that uh, President Trump should become Speaker Trump and actually go in as Speaker and do all this stuff? Because I don't I don't think there's any Republicans that will do any of the things we need done.
3: No. But how about you? I would endorse you for speaker. <laughs> I can't win. We got to get somebody to win. All right. Hey, well. Trump had his chance to do a lot of this and he didn't. So right, I'm not okay. so sure that uh, speaker is the right role for him, but we certainly could do a lot better than Kevin McCarthy. All right. Okay. We'll leave
1: it there. Julie Kelly at Julie underscore Kelly, number two on Twitter, follow her there and get her books uh, that both of them are really good, but especially the more recent one, January 6th book. Uh, it's important. It's the best description. I've bought multiple copies and given them to people to say, this is read this and you'll understand exactly what was going on as much as we can know. Cause a lot of stuff's still hidden. So thanks, Julie. Thank you, Ed. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. And we'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the pro America report. Back in a moment. <laughs> mm uh-huh welcome back welcome back ed martin here on the pro america report time to check in with my friend brandon Wyckard, and brandon Wyckard, of course is an author uh he has a book that we've talked about a number of times called winning space how america remains a superpower uh and that that he also has uh, another book the shadow war iran's conquest excuse me iran's quest for supremacy uh, but also on twitter his twitter feed is one that i really am helped by i check him out it's at we the brand and at we the Brandon, his name, of course, is Brandon Weckartt, so first of all, welcome back, Brandon. How are you I'm good, thanks for having me well it's nice to have you. so I want to ask you about a thread I noticed on Twitter that you put up because again you you have informed me on the importance of space, and as I watch you yeah. talk about. Uh, and excuse me, write about. I don't want you to talk about. It. Write about on Twitter the situation in Ru- with Russia and Ukraine. And you you've not shied away from saying you know uh, uh, Putin is not a a, a a likable guy. Worse than that, he's a you know stone cold killer, etc. You've also said, right. hey, what are we doing here, America? Be careful uh, what you're doing. You know you're you're going to find yourself in a war and. This tweet from a couple of days ago, or from yesterday, it, it starts out forget about aircraft carriers, forget about tanks, forget about the F uh, 35. What's needed is this. Well, what is it needed? And tell us what you started with this tweet.
4: So, th- the bottom line is we are still acting like it's 1990 and like the technology that we would need to fight and win a war. Uh, would be the same as it was 30, 40 years ago. And it's just not the case anymore. Um, on top of nuclear weapons, what we have to worry about when it comes to dealing with Russia in particular at this critical time, we have to worry about what the Russians are going to do to target our electromagnetic spectrum capabilities, to target our cyberspace, to target us in space, the physical domain of space. And so we're not really focused on those critical areas. We're still kind of acting like it's just one. Big SOP for defense industry types to get their big trillion dollar warplane or their big aircraft carrier. But even when it comes to dealing with China, which is mostly a sea based type fight. Well, The real the real weapon we're going to need are submarines. We're going to need those submarines to get in close to any potential Chinese invasion of Taiwan and to sort of stay under the waves and kind of harass the Chinese that way. Unfortunately, though, not a single one of our defense experts are talking about these very simple and frankly cheaper and more effective uh, modalities of defense. Everybody's still talking about, you know, the big weapon set pieces and whatnot. No, one's talking about the, the real futuristic war uh, type stuff, which is, which is EM spectrum defense, space defense, cyber defense, and offense, submarines over flat top aircraft carriers. And so until we actually start talking about those things, we're going to be cont- continually left vulnerable to attack and disruptions from the great power
1: actors of Russia and China. We're talking again with Brandon Weikert and uh, at Brandon on Twitter. And, of course, uh, his uh, his books uh, are available. Republic Book Publishers published Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. That's a favorite of mine. Uh, Brandon, you go on in this thread, though, and you're talking about missed priorities. So how can it be – I mean, I, I, I love you. But how can it be that what you write makes so much sense, seems so clear, and yet we have a massive, massive – uh, spending program that is Off target. I, I, I'm actually. I'm actually. I don't know enough about submarines to know whether to agree with you or not. But it makes sense. But I certainly have watched the space question, and you're watching it. You're watching really savvy people. And I I know he's in the news all the time now. But Elon Musk is an example. But even Bezos, Donald Trump, when he came in office, he said, "I want a space force" because he realized that something was going on here, and yet we're not seeing the decision makers. Sort of adjust behavior I, I, wh- right. not not just why is that, but what 's happening here
4: well, part of it is that when it comes to space specifically. Um, our bureaucracy, our leaders are afraid. They're afraid that if they weaponize space or start talking about weaponizing space, that that will trigger an unwanted arms race in space. And what the whole point of Winning Space, my book, was about was to say, hey, look, the arms race is already here. There's a new space race upon us. And we're losing to China, particularly China, but also Russia, who's helping China now. Um, And so we've got to stop worrying about Uh, You know, these sorts of, uh, you know, if we if we go too heavily investing in space, we might trigger an arms race. It's already here. We need to just try to win that arms race or at least stay up with our enemies. Uh, And so there's that. Then there's also this sort of bureaucratic inertia. Nobody in the Pentagon wants to see their budgets reduced. And in order to give Space Force the kind of resources it needs to achieve, the kind of mission it needs to achieve, space dominance, you're going to have to start cutting funding for other programs and nobody wants their pet project to die. So you have resistance on that level. And then you also have uh, within the bureaucracy, within Space Force, oddly enough, poison pill personnel, people who were selected to run Space Force Who are against the mission of Space Force. And the reason they were selected is because the bureaucracy associated Space Force with Donald Trump and therefore Orange Man was bad and therefore anything he wanted to do like Space Force was considered to be uh, you know a non starter we 've got to resist it from within at all costs, and so that 's why you have space force sort of lurching along when it should be going at full speed toward rising to meet our enemies in space, and they 're not and so that 's a specific threat in another another more generalized sense, our defense industry is primed still to try to get those big ticket items, so it 's better money for them to spend money on a fifth-generation warplane or now a sixth-generation warplane than it is to invest in electromagnetic spectrum defense or than it is for them to just enhance cyber capabilities. You're going to make money off of those things, but if you're a defense industry leader, you want to get the biggest bang for your buck, and that's going to come from contracts for another warplane or another aircraft carrier, which are tens of billions of dollars Dollars per unit, rather than investing in sort of those critical stopgap areas that I'm talking about, and that's why you have sort of this inertia or lethargy when it comes to trying to meet the the, the needs that I'm talking about, the real war fighting needs.
1: Uh, we're talking with Brandon Weichert again uh, and his book, uh, which I recommend uh, wholeheartedly, especially on this topic, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. Uh, uh, Republic book publishers published it. And, I, and we're, I'm referring to this t- uh, tweet thread that he had about the importance of the priorities, what we really need. Uh, Brandon, I, I hate to say this, this, this sort of game, but I, I want to. Imagine, if you will, uh, that unfortunately things go really bad and we end up in a full blown war, we meaning America, where we're actually in a war. How much of the war would be space based? And I know now it might not be that we would actually be fighting in space. But if you were in a war tomorrow with China or Russia and you were the Americans, what would it look like that they would try to do in space? Or what would we do in space? You know, satellites, whatever else. Well, our
4: doctrine is we would never strike first in space. So it's not what we're going to do. It's what our enemies are going to do to us and how we're going to react. And so the first thing we need to understand is that when the world war happens, and it's around the corner, I fear, uh, the first area that's going to get hit is space. Because if you lose in space, you're going to lose on Earth, ultimately. Our military relies disproportionately on satellites in particular. Uh, Our enemies know that. And for the last 12 years, China and Russia have reorganized their forces to fight and win a space war against the Americans. So we lose in space in the first half hour of those shots being fired, we'll probably lose on Earth. Um, And then they're also going to hit us in the cyber domain. They're also going to hit us across the electromagnetic spectrum to try to, you know, fry our electronic systems. Um, Beyond that, uh, you know, if, if that, if we're able to withstand those attacks, which is a big if... Then we'll be talking probably about possible nuclear reprisals. We'll have to worry about nuclear weapons escalation. We'll have to worry about hypersonic weapons attack. Um, And so basically, though, the first point of contact with the enemy will likely be in space. It's very telling that in the run up to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the first military action was taken, taken was by Russia, in which in November, going into Thanksgiving holiday, the Russians launched an anti-satellite weapons test that blew up an old Soviet satellite, created a massive debris field and almost destroyed the International Space Station. Um, that was a signal that Moscow was sending to Washington. You better stay out of our business in Ukraine or we're going to go after your stuff in space. Yet again, uh, uh, two weeks ago now, the head, one of the heads of Space Force reported to the Washington Post that, in fact, uh, Russia had 100 uh, uh, percent disabled or blocked uh, American GPS signals going down into Ukraine. And then also, must we forget Um, that Elon Musk at the beginning of the invasion in Ukraine gave 40 Starlink terminals over to uh, the Ukrainians so that the Russians would not be able to cut Ukraine off from the Internet. He gave them those small satellites, Musk did, that has kept Ukraine connected to the World Wide Web and basically allowed for them to continue waging the propaganda war and sort of the electronic side of the war that the Americans and the Ukrainians have been so effective at fighting Russia in right now. And without, the, without space, without those three things happening, uh, you know, the war might have gone very differently. And so that's an example, in my opinion, of when the world war begins, whether it's with China or Russia or even Iran or North Korea. um, When those big wars happen, uh, it's going to be fought first in space and then it'll go down everywhere else. And if we lose in space, which we very well may, if we lose in space, we're going to lose in everywhere else. Everything we do has to have space as that bridge. And when you disconnect us from space, You disconnect our fighting forces around the world. You make it easier to isolate and defeat them. You could also potentially disconnect our economy from the world uh, economy, which would just make us, you know, uh, paupers,
1: basically. So you lose in space,
4: you lose everywhere
1: else. Mm Wow. Well, you're not Mr. Sunshine all the time, but you're very clear eyed. So uh, I appreciate that. Brandon Weikert. I got to run again. His, his winning space. How America remains a superpower. Also, uh, check him out on Twitter at WeTheBrandon. Uh, good stuff. Thanks very much, Brandon. Appreciate it. Thank you, Ed. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. And we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment.
0: This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin.
1: Concerned parents have been getting bad news for decades, it seems. Schools are giving children nosy surveys about sex in their home life. Pornographic books are increasingly being found on library shelves. Teachers, unions, The American Library Association and school board members all seem to be conspiring to silence the voice of parents. These entities are almost always more organized, more well-funded, and hold more positions of power than parents do. These sad facts may be true, but that's not the end of the story. Concerned parents may feel like they're facing an uphill battle, but other parents around them are winning victories every day. The actions of a group of parent activists with the organization Mass Resistance led to a county commissioner's resignation. According to the group, County Commissioner Daniel Reardon was particularly hostile to the idea of shielding children from obscenity and LGBT pornography. Reardon repeatedly ranted against the parents and had them removed from meetings when they didn't follow his rules. When that didn't work, the commission banned all public comment at meetings to silence the parents but that didn't deter the incensed moms and dads of Campbell County, Wyoming. Just a few months later, the library board chair and Commissioner Reardon both resigned from their posts. Of course, some petty local tyrants are too thick-headed to know when they're no longer welcome. Such was the case in the less-than-conservative city of San Francisco, where three sitting school board members were recalled, including the president and the vice president of the school board, for putting their woke agenda ahead of the needs of students predictably the ousted members blamed racism but that just demonstrates how out of touch they were with their constituents in san francisco from conservative rural wyoming to the liberal city of san francisco parents are successfully defending their children from woke indoctrination if you're tired of hearing the bad news and want to start making good news in your community start by being vigilant tactfully ask your children about what goes on at their school and communicate with other parents you can make a difference in your school district
0: this has been the phyllis schlafly report from phyllis schlafly eagles the liberal agenda is corrupting classrooms in colleges and schools across the country if you're a parent teacher or administrator who really cares about our children we promise to keep you informed at PhyllisSchlafly.com. And let us hear from you at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
1: Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let me finish up. I'm just cutting some video uh, and audio for the uh, Great Collegians Summit uh, my colleague Ryan Height out in St. Louis is a master at putting these things together. So we'll have a promotional video out in the next day or two. Collegian Summit. We used to do our Collegian Summit in person completely back before COVID hit. Then we did it virtually, and it was so effective. At our world headquarters, excuse me, at our DC headquarters, our world headquarters of the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles is in St. Louis. At our DC headquarters. We had everybody from Senator Chuck Grassley to Senator Ted Cruz. We had Catherine Engelbrecht, Sidney Powell. All these folks came to our headquarters. We were able to shoot this great uh, virtual summit. Well, this year we're doing a hybrid. We'll be doing it virtual. So wherever you are, if you're a college student, you can tune in. And we'll also have some folks in person, some students. So check that out. Uh, com for more. Quick hit. I'll make sure it's going to be on June 14th. I'll make sure to get all the information to you. June 14th, just in about six or eight weeks. Uh, less than that. Six, seven weeks. All right. Great show, as always. Thank you to Noah Dingley, our producer. Joanna Spilger, our associate producer. We'll be back tomorrow. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then.
0: This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.